back on track. It's to make us more fruitful in our life as we live it for God. The third observation we've seen last week is he provided a permanent provider. Remember, Micah 5 is the, the prophecy of Jesus coming in his first advent. Israel no longer would need to have a sacrificial system once Jesus died on the cross. The permanent provider, and it was offered to all. Amen? All of us have access to this permanent provider. And then fourthly, the fourth observation we learned from our text last week is that Israel learned through their pro- the process of pruning, they learned their priority of praise. Remember that, that we, we shared the story of Flavius Josephus in the first century, the historian, who gave the story of how Pilate brought the army of, Jer- of, of, of Rome into Jerusalem for the winter, and he brought the statues or the graven images of, Ces- of, of Caesar Augustus. And remember that the Jews would not bow to those images. Why? Because they remembered the pruning. They remembered who their priority of praise should be. And we in our lives need to understand that as well. What is our priority of praise? Who do we worship? Oh, we worship God. Okay, I I get that. That's the Sunday school answer. But really in your life, when push comes to shove, who and what is in the high places of your life? We hope that we learn that God needs to be in that place of priority in our lives. We use the, the illustration of an alarm clock for this minor prophet. And really, we, need, we can look at that picture throughout all the major and minor prophets. God sounds forth alarms to the nation of Israel because of what they're doing wrong. And an alarm is something we need to take action on. You see, we, we, since, since our parents first sinned, Adam and Eve, the world is fractured. It is fearful. I mean, just think of what we've been living through the past two years. This, this fear monger. We were just scared of everything and you, disease and germs and all this. We, and there's it's division with the church, division in the community, division with the country. Just fear. It's been happening since the fall of man. We're living in confusion where each person can de- decide what truth they believe. In the area of morality and the area of sexuality, we have this conversation that, hey, whatever you think, you want to be this, you can be that. I was watching a, an interview with uh, Dr. Phil and Matt Walsh, who was defending the, the, gen, the, the gender of one man and one woman. Just think about that. Wow, having to defend that. Then they had two other individuals, trans people, on. And you would think that Matt Walsh, who was defending the biblical worldview, it was like he had four heads. How dare you? There's only two genders? Our world is in such confusion that anyone's truth is right. We live in a delusional world. I'd like to take just an illustration of music this morning. Now, many of you maybe are not musicians, and that's okay, but I'm sure you enjoy music. You may not understand what happens when you play a piano or play an instrument. Some of these people don't know. No, I'm just kidding. They, They do know what's going on as well. I don't know all the time what I'm doing. You play in a key, and, and, and Eric picks the music. We're playing the key of E, one of the songs from the key of E. And you're like, okay, that's foreign to me. Okay, I understand. But every chord is played the exact same way and harmonizes. There's a melody. It unites together because the individual who arranged this song created this music to be played and to be listened, to be enjoyed. If we would have came in this morning and Eric had all the band members playing whatever key they wanted to play in, Hopefully all of us would walk out because it would have sounded horrible. 
But see, that's the way in which the nation of Israel is living now. They are doing what is right in their eyes. And we in our culture, you know, not us as a church, but our culture, guess what? We're living exactly that way. We are living a chaotic life. We, we, everyone's doing what, what is right. Everything that is moral or, or good, well, you can live that way. Or if it's bad, it's considered good, live it. It goes against the very fabric of what God ordained from the beginning of time. Certain dates are bring remembrance in our life. So if I was to say December 25th, what day is that? Christmas, what's January 1st? Right, July 4th. It's July 4th. No, it's the celebration of our country's birthday, right? And we think of picnics and fireworks and all those fun things. However, there's certain dates that we remember that don't bring such happy memories. If I was to say December 7th, what would you say? That is the, the Pearl Harbor. How about September 11th? the Twin Towers, and the attack on our country. How about we think of the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Many of you know exactly where you were. We remember those dates. If I say April 15th, <laughs> right? Tax day. tax day, yeah, right? Maybe some of us are like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that day. There's two particular dates in the nation of Israel that it will be remembered, and we thousands of years later removed from these from that history understand what those days are 722 and 586 Assyrian captivity Babylonian captivity these were the dates that Israel's gonna remember God pruning their life and this is the text this is the book we are in of what is happening to the nation of Israel you see a day was coming for Israel to pay for their disobedience see sometimes we think because of our sins are forgiven it really doesn't matter how we live is that true? No. Micah knew that 700 years before Christ, as he was giving this proclamation, this prophecy to the nation. Well, Paul reminded the Christians in Galatia the same thing. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. We too understand there's a consequence for our sin. There's a reaping for it. Does God forgive us? Yes. Does God for, put it under the, the, the bottom of the sea, east from west? Absolutely. But is there still consequences? So, yeah. Think of the individual who chooses to follow the life of drinking and drugs. Does God forgive them when they come to Christ? Yes. But is there, is there consequence in their physical state? Yeah, there is. How about the individual who chooses to break up his family by going and living with someone else and adultery? Does God forgive them? Yeah, absolutely. But is there consequences of those actions? Yeah. Think of King, King David. King David, was he still a man after God's own heart? After his sin with Bathsheba? Absolutely. Was he still king of Israel? Yes. But what did God give him as a consequence for his life? That the sword would not leave his family. Death would be part of his family. And so we must understand that there is a consequence for sin. That's why we need to follow what Paul says in Ephesians 6, to every day put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Or as James says in James chapter 5, to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and what happens? He flees from us. And that's what we in our culture here we need to understand here on this side of the cross, nation of Israel, they're going to get the consequence of their decision to not follow God, to treat their people with injustice so this chapter, Micah chapter 6, is, uh, there's three points, there's three outline. there's an outline of three points here. Micah 6, 1 through 5 is this, God is speaking. He's saying, here, listen up, pay attention, Israel. God speaks here. 
We see then Micah 6, 6, and 7. Israel then talks to God. And they say, listen, God, we have sinned. Okay, how should we come before you? How do we take care of this? How do we take care of what we have done wrong to you? Then we see Micah 6, 8 through 16. God speaks again, and God gives them formula. God gives them a formula of how this, how this plays out for them and what they need to do to follow him. So let's begin reading Micah 6, verse 1. And there's that word here again. Hear what the Lord says. Again, listen up. Pay attention. You, young kids, you ever, you ever hear when your parents, you, say, you look at me when I'm talking to you, right? My mom used to say that to me. That's what God said. Listen, hear Israel. Look at me when I'm talking to you, Israel. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, there's that word, circle that. God wants them to hear. Pay attention, Israel. Listen up. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment, that word there in the Hebrew. He has a dispute against his people. I want you to notice, too, his people. Despite even what nation of Israel is doing here, God still calls Israel his people. Isn't that amazing how long-suffering, how patient our God is? And he will contend. That word there in the Hebrew is decide, judge. So listen, I have a problem. I have a dispute with you, Israel. Okay, now I'm going to decide and I'm going to judge. I want a picture of a courtroom scene here. State your case, God is saying. Listen up, Israel. I'm coming at you. I have, I have problems with you. Look at verse 3. Here's, here's his problem. Oh, my people. There it is again. Circle that. that I know in the, in the midst of judgment and doom and gloom, you've you got to grab on to any promise, any hope that there is. Oh, my people. He's still calling them his people. What have I done to you? How have I wearied you? And that word, the context there in the original language is, how have I made you impatient with me is the, is the context here. How have I made you impatient with me? Answer me that, Israel. Tell me that. That's what God's telling them. For I've brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I have sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, and you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God here is showing Israel three significant events in Israel's history of what he has done for them. So what, why, why are you so impatient with me, Israel? Look, look what I did. So let's, let's just look at those three events quickly. The release from Egypt, from slavery. We know that story. I want you to picture God delivers them. Remember them standing at the Red Sea with about two million Israelites, and there's the sea. What did God do? He split the Red Sea, and they walked on dry ground. Israel, do you remember that? Do you remember when I delivered you? And the, the story of King Balak, remember this story of the evil king of Moab who wanted to give curses to the nation of Israel. God used a talking donkey to give blessings through Balaam to Israel. Look how God protected them from a wicked king. And we see that the, the uh, event of Shittim to Gilgal is the event of the Jordan crossing. God's saying, do, do you remember when I brought you to the promised land? 
Do you remember that? Do you remember when you crossed the Jordan River like you crossed the Red Sea? Do you remember how, how he cared for you, how he gave you victory? Hey, you remember that, that war, the, the, the Jericho Wall? You remember the, the Jericho Wall? You remember you didn't have to do anything but walk around and blow your trumpet? You remember how he gave you into their hand? This is what God's saying. Look, look at all I've done for you, and this is what I get? Well, let's not be so hard on the nation of Israel. Because I know we can sit in our pious seats and 2,700 years later and say, how dare you, Israel? I would follow God. Why would you do that to God? We're no different. We're really no different. We have lost our priority of the things of God, just like Israel, our time, our energy, our attention to these gods in our life. The success in business, a glowing reputation, sexual satisfaction, power, the list goes on and on and on. They are our gods that we have problems with. Yes, we're not worshiping graven images. But we see, we give power to these gods. When they become part of our life and we bow to them and then we put them in the high places of our life, some things happen. One is this. I believe when we give power to these gods and they rule and reign our life, whatever they are, we become apathetic, just like the nation of Israel. And so you wonder, how did the nation of Israel get to where they were? They lost sight of God. And we too, here in the 21st century, the same thing can happen to us. We become apathetic. Yeah, I go to church, I do these things, but I'm just not really, yeah, I, I can give or take it. I'm just going through the motions. Parents, listen to me. When you, if you live that apathetic Christian life, you will lose your kids. What, what young person looks at a mom and dad who lives a hypocritical life and wants that faith? Would you want it? No. Parents, show your kids who is God of your life. If you don't, they're going to just look and say, yeah, this is what my mom and dad does. I don't really need it. I'm going to do my own thing. And then we wonder, what happened? What happened to Johnny and Sally? Because you lived a hypocritical Christian life. What do you expect? We're no different than the nation of Israel. Same Satan. Different lures, different gods he tempts us with. Different culture. His purpose and his goal is the same. It is to distract humanity from the living true God. That has been his purpose and his plan since he fell from heaven. Okay? That is his plan. He's been doing it for thousands of years. So like Israel's idolatry here, yes, boy, I can't believe they did that. Okay, let's, not, let's look at our lives. We need to be careful. We are not giving in to those gods. So this morning, I want to look at just three points of interest that we gleaned from Micah 6 in the area of Israel's idolatry and their, and their demise here for judgment. Our first point of interest is this. Do not be distracted. Do not be distracted. God was reminding the nation of Israel of all the good things he has done in their life. So why are you treating me this way, he's saying. Church, when Satan tempts us, and we're attracted to the things, the people, the positions of life that draw us away, he is doing that to distract us from all the goodness of God. 
So when that happens, we need to start thinking and be proactive. Okay, remember my salvation. Think about it a minute. Where were you headed before God saved you? Some of us were headed down a bad, bad path. Think of it. Think of where you would be without Jesus today. When Satan tries to distract you, remember the goodness of God. Remember all he has done for you. You know, we, we, we think about this same principle happened in the Old Testament. You look at Joshua chapter 4. God told Joshua, and they're crossing the Jordan River. Okay, Joshua, I want you to take 12 guys, 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel. I want you to take 12 stones. I want you to take them to Gilgal, right? Set them Gilgal, put it up in Gilgal as a monument to remember. Then he told Joshua, Joshua, you take 12 stones, and I want you to place them at the feet of the priest holding the Ark of the Covenant as a remembrance when that river then would subside, when the Jordan River would subside, these stones would be sticking out of the middle of the Jordan River. You know why? So when people and generations would pass, they'd say, hey, what's the deal with those stones sticking out of the Jordan River? Ah, let me tell you what God did here. When they walked up to Gilgal, what's, the, what's that the interesting structure there? What is, what is that? Let me tell you, this, this God of Israel, let me tell you what he did for you. Church, when we are distracted by Satan, we're beginning to be tempted to be distracted, we've got to remember, we've got to put those memorial stones in our mind of all the good things God has done, how he has saved us, and we have a home in heaven. We went through some promises last week. We need to keep speaking those promises because Satan is coming at us hard. Church, don't be distracted. Do not let Satan take God off the high place of our life. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Israel now speaks. Now Israel is giving their point of view, and of course we find out here that they know what they did was wrong. Verse 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? With the, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? Yes, Israel sinned. And now they're saying, okay, how do we fix this? What do we need to give to you for you to just eradicate this from our history? Remember, not... No religion saves, does it? Israel's trying to rely on their sacrifices here. They even offered their own children. I want us to see here some verbiage that they're using here in this text. See, they're inquiring about how sins need to be forgiven. And they're using Jewish sacrificial language. Look, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? That's Jewish sacrificial language. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? with 10,000 of rivers. But I want you to notice something in verse 7, the end of verse 7. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? That's a little odd to come from the Jewish faith. What's interesting about this verse is that statement there shows where Israel has been. It tells us that they had been conformed to the religion of the pagan ideology of its time. To tell God, listen, I'll even give you my firstborn. What in the world? That's pagan worship. Particularly the God of Molech. 
God of Molech, we, we see this God mentioned eight times in the Old Testament. We see it in Leviticus, we see it in First and Second Kings, and we see it in Jeremiah. This was the God of human sacrifice. Actually, if you read into the God of Molech, it was the God of child sacrifice. A family would bring their firstborn and offer it to appease the God of Moloch. Israel was getting caught up into this pagan worship. In fact, you see the picture there. There's two ways that God of Moloch is depict, depicted. One, he has his hands over a brazen, a burning fire, and that those hands would become super, super red and orange as, 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 as heat is, is depicted there, and you lay that child on the hand. You see there that the other depiction is that, that the, the back of this, this idol is open. They would put, put the fire in there and stoke that up to where this whole, this whole idol would become red with heat. And people would take their kids and they would appease this God. This is what Israel was involved with. Human sacrifice. Israel was so des- desperate Due to their sin, they were like, listen, okay, listen, we'll even give you our firstborn, like, you know, the God of Moloch here. We'll, we'll, whatever it needs to do for us to appease you, we'll do it. I need to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. And here's, here's the reason why. Micah does not share with us what God thought, but we understand it. We understand our Old Testament history and pro- pro- prophets. Micah. Isaiah were contemporaries. They prophesied together to the northern and southern kingdom. And so we're going to see here what God thought of their sacrifices. It's not pretty. So Israel's asking here in Micah chapter 6, okay, so God, do we give you rams? Do we give you oil? We offer our firstborn? What, what do we do to, you know, get rid of this sin? Isaiah 1, sorry, verse 10. There's that word here. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom. Ouch. Give ear to the teaching of your God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay, just so you know, if you are referenced to be that of Sodom and Gomorrah, things are not going well for you with God. Okay, so if he's referencing you people of Gomorrah, uh, Sodom, yeah, he's not happy with you. He is not happy with the nation of Israel. Verse 11 What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. He has nothing nothing to do with it. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings, incense, and abomination to me, new moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. That is a strong word, but God says it. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Do you think God wanted their sacrifice after reading Isaiah chapter 1? No. God called it evil. They were living hypocrisy at its best. Living how they wanted to live, worshiping how they wanted to worship, treating their, their own people with injustice. But give me God here, we'll give you our sacrifice. We come before your courts. Here's our offering. 
Here, God, be pleased with this sacrifice. And God says, you people of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's how fed up God was with the nation of Israel. I love what the Bible knowledge commentary says here. This really was a picture of where Israel's spiritual condition was. Bible knowledge commentary says this, inward righteousness must accompany outward ritual for that ritual to mean anything to God. Let me say that again. Inward righteousness must accompany outward ritual for that ritual to mean anything to God. Perfect for this particular text. What's he saying? You must live what you preach. If you're going to come before a holy God and give sacrifices and then turn around and continue to live in sin, no, 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 that's not how this works. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel was doing. So when you read Isaiah 1, you can really see how upset God was, don't we? I mean, he was just upset with the nation. So what, what do we, so you say, Pastor what, what do we learn? Okay, that's the nation of Israel. We understand what they did. So what's, how does this apply to us today? Well, let's be honest. We find ourselves in the same situation. Yes, yeah, so we're not worshiping the God of Molech, but there's other gods that we are worshiping. We find ourselves coming to church and worshiping and raising hands and praying and giving our tithes. Where's your heart? I, 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 we, get, we come to church attendance. We have ministries. I'm involved with it. this ministry. I do this. And I, here, let me g- give you a key. When, you, when, when we as, as, as church people call a ministry my ministry, your heart's not in it. When I hear individuals say, that's my ministry, no, it's not. That's your first sign that you are not doing this for God. What did, Paul, what, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8? It's right here. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He's talking about the Pharisees. These people pray in front of people. They say all the right things. They follow the law to how they view the law, but their hearts are far from me. This is many of us, us each Sunday. We come in and we do our ritual routine of coming to church. And listen, each and every one of us have got to determine where our heart is. See, we should come to church with this attitude. Look at Psalms 51.10. We should have this prayer of David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with that needs to be our attitude as we come into the presence of God, as we worship him and we give ourselves to him and as we serve in ministry. God created me a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit within me. I don't deserve life. I deserve hell. But Lord, because of your grace and your mercy, Lord, that's the attitude I want to have. God wants our heart. He wants our allegiance. He wants our obedience. He's telling the nation of Israel here, I don't want your sacrifices. They mean nothing to me because your life doesn't reflect any change. Church, let's not be distracted. What's it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? Satan is a roaring lion. He is an angel of light. And he's trying to distract. This leads us to our second point of interest this morning. Number two is be devoted to God. Don't be distracted by Satan. Number two, be devoted to God. Be devoted in our worship. Be devoted in your ministry. Be devoted to God in your church attendance. Be devoted in your marriages. Be devoted as families. Be devoted in your communities to God. That's what God requires. That's what he wants from the nation. But what we see here, if we look at verse eight, 
he sees God doing something utterly amazing. Israel knows God's judgment's coming. We, we, we read Isaiah 1, we read these texts in Micah, it's like God is not happy, but God here shows grace to the nation. Despite everything that they've gone against God, look what he says here in verse 8. And they, underline verse 8, that's the key verse of Micah. We probably put this to memory. Let's read it together. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy in some of our versions, and to walk humbly with your God. Now let's put this in context. What were the things that Israel were having struggles with? They were worshiping other gods, and they were treating their their fellow Jews unjustly. They were ripping each other off. They were stealing stuff from them. They were throwing mothers and kids out of their house, taking their inheritances. So Jesus said this, listen, do justice. Be just to one another. Love mercy. Show mercy to one another and walk humbly with me. This is what is required of you. Despite all the things that you have done, this is what I want from you. You see how, 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 how loving and how caring and how long-suffering our God is? I don't know if any students in here, if you ever had to go to a teacher and ask them, okay, how do I pass this class? I had to do that several times in my life. So I, have, I attended Lancaster Bible College, so I had one class, I had a, a science class I had to take to graduate. And it was a physics class. For those that know me, I hate math and I hate science. That is not the class to take, to try to graduate. I was hoping to get some kind of biology where I can cut something open and look at the guts. And to me, that would have been more fun than math. And I remember opening up the syllabus, our first day on class. It was spring semester, and Dr. DeVries was my professor. It's very funny. I used it as an illustration. Actually, I got an alumni email that he passed away this week. He's been retired for years, and he was a very smart man. And I remember going up to him after my class, and I said, after the first class, I said, okay, Doc, listen here. I'm going to flunk this class. So can you get me into another science class? Because this is just not going to work for me. No, no, you're going to do fine. Uh, you do you not know Jason Palmer, okay? You don't know me. I'm going to flunk. He's like, Jason, here. Turn to page three. Here is all the requirements. You, you see these labs. You see this homework. You see all these special projects. All those little things. majority of your class is not going to do because they're going to do well on the test. These are the things you need to do. You do every single one of them. You will pass this class. I'm like, but, but Doc, Jason, just do what I tell you. Okay. That's a lot of faith to have coming down to the semester in May, happen to graduate. I get to my final exam. Jason, you know what you got in your final exam? Yes. Yes, you flunked it. Yes, you did. Here's what you got in the class. C minus? Yeah! I passed! I took Judy out to the top restaurant, Burger King. We celebrated that night. You see, my professor said, Jay, you do all these things. This is required for you to graduate. This is what God did with the nation of Israel. This is what is required. I don't want any of your sacrifices. They mean nothing to me. I want you to treat people with justice. I want you to do mercy, and I want you to walk humbly with me. That is what is required. It's, re- it's really interesting as we 
see the law, and we see how God is, is talking to the nation, he valued horizontal relationships. Going back to the Ten Commandments, remember we talked a couple weeks ago, Commandment 1 and through 4 is talking about our relationship with God. Commandment 5 through 10 is dealing with our relationship with others. We go to Mark chapter 12. What is the, the, the verse of the greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the what? To love your neighbor as yourself. What's Jesus say? There's no greater command than these. He sums up the Ten Commandments. And we see there in Matthew chapter 5, when in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was telling the, the, his followers, listen, when you take your offering into the temple and you have an issue with a brother, you put the sacrifice down, you put your offering down, and you go make things right with your brother. Then, and only then, do you come back and you make your sacrifice. Horizontal relationships with others was important to God. As we see here in Micah 6, 8, learn to do justly, learn to love mercy, make things right, have rela good relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what makes me happy. That's what's required of you. So as we get to our third and final point of interest this morning, don't be distracted. Be devoted. And lastly is be diligent in obeying God's word. Yes, we around, for us here in our culture, we do each other justice. We do hopefully show each other mercy and hopefully we're walking humbly with our God. But to encapsulate that idea, we need to be diligent in obeying God's word. Everything that he tells us in his word. So what is that for us? 2,700 years removed from this text in Micah chapter 6. Well, Scripture tells us to submit to God. Scripture tells us to resist the devil. Scripture tells us to put on certain things and to put off certain things. God tells us not to worry. God tells us to obey. God tells us to be doers of the word. God tells us, follow me. And the list can go on and on and on. Are we doing what the Lord requires in our life? as he told the nation of Israel here. When we do those things, God is pleased. If the nation of Israel followed these three steps, God would be pleased and what God would be honored. See, when we are not distracted by other gods, when we are devoted with our heart, with our allegiance, with our obedience, we will follow God diligently in all his ways. See, we will pass the class. We will pass the test. And for every single one of us in here, one day, when we enter heaven and we leave this earth, I want us to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. When we hear those words, I passed the class. I passed the test. I did what was required. So church, as we leave here today, let's not be distracted. Okay, let's be devoted to God. And let's be diligent in obeying God's word. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all you've done for us. Just heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I, I want you to take this time this morning just to just evaluate your, your, your life for a moment. Many of us in here have been going to church all our life. We know all the ins and outs of Sunday morning worship, all of our ministries, activities, we've, attendance, everything. Where is your heart? Where is your heart of worship? 
Do you do those things? Do we do those things because it's what re- is required of us? We do it because we want to please God, and it's because it's, it's, it's our lifestyle? Or do we do it just to appease our friends and appease the pastor? Just think about that, man. That, that's, no one else can answer that question but you. Draw a circle around yourself. How is your life in that way? What is required? And, and secondly is this, church, that all of us, myself, all of us included, including me, is we need to be careful we are not distracted by what Satan is bringing before us. His whole goal and his whole purpose for life is to take us out of the way of God. He wants to get us focused on other things. Let's not allow him to do that in our lives. Okay, church, let's stay strong. Let's be diligent. Let's be devoted. And only you can make that choice. I pray that you make the right choice here as we leave here today. Father, give us a, a, a good week. Help our brothers and sisters today. They go to their jobs and they're at home in their communities. Help us to, to not be distracted. Help us to be, be devoted and to be diligent in following through. Knowing when we do those things, you will be pleased. We love you. Give us a great, great week. We ask in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. So stand up, listen to the chorus, and by this we know love. By this we know love.